Lord our God, we are coming before you this morning with reverence. With holy reverence. Understanding all our heart this morning that you are worthy and we are not. We shall not even be here this morning. But because of Jesus Christ, because of the Son of God, because of the Holy One, the Lord of glory, we can stand before you this morning, fix our eyes on you and, and worship you. Thank you for that. Father, I pray that this morning we'll just continue in the same way with our eyes fixed on you with our heart wide open to receive your word and to understand what you did for us father i pray that many people in this place will be just wrecked by your powerful love you are so good Make Jesus shine in this place powerfully this morning. Make the glory of the cross shine in this place in such a way that life will be transformed. That our love for you as Christian will be renewed again. And that you will save someone in this place. That will come to understand how high a price you paid for them. Father, we need you. We love you. And we trust that you will do the work that only you can do in this place. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Honestly, I'm standing before you and I'm just a wreck. <laughs> I'm just a mess right now. What more can I say? This is the church of Jesus Christ. When you come into a place like this and you hear the gospel so much in the song that you are singing to him, that's the church of Jesus Christ. You will hear a little bit more of what we just sang this morning. We'll continue to hit the nail of, of what Jesus has done on the cross and just remember how amazing his grace is for us. Um, God is in this place. I know Ray, uh, my brother, loved to say it's never another, just another Sunday. It's never just another Friday. And... I believe what is meant in that is that we're not just human being meeting together, but the holy God is in this place with us. He's not far away, distant from us, but God is in this place and wants to work in our heart. So today, don't be uh, bothered by the very strong French accent that is coming out of my mouth. Don't be distracted by 
your cell phone or anything that can distract you from hearing and listening and seeing Jesus Christ as the most holy treasure. If you don't have a Bible this morning, um, you can lift, just raise your hand and someone will come and and give a Bible to you. Uh, We will open the word of God. We'll see in the word of God what happened on this Good Friday. We are celebrating Good Friday today. Good Friday. Just think about that for a second. If you realize what happened on that day, how can we call it Good Friday? The worst day in the whole history of the universe. The day when the worst crime has ever been committed. The day where the Lord of glory came down from his throne. And instead of receiving him with feast, instead of receiving him with, with applause and, and worshiping him, we took him and crucified him. We killed the Lord of glory. That's what we, mem- we remember at Good Friday. How can we call that good? Are we crazy Christians? What, what is our problem? No, we are not crazy. Today we will try to uncover through the word why the worst of all days in the history of humanity can, be cool, can and should be called Good Friday. In order to do that, we need to ask ourselves a very simple question. Why did Jesus have to die? And as you can see on the screen, I did not come up with that question myself. I could, it's a really simple question. But the Time Magazine did. In 2004, when Mel Gibson um, did that, that famous movie, The Passion, Millions of people ran into the theaters to see the passion of the Christ, to see what Jesus did on that day, to see and to, 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 to see that very graphic movie showing us what Jesus suffered for us. The movie shows us part of the truth. Yes, it, it's, it's, it's true when we look at the movie how Jesus was Beaten, rejected, how he suffered. People saw that movie and began to, to just reflect and think about that. And the Time magazine did that cover, the first page. Can you imagine that? Why did Jesus have to die? And I love that question. I love every word of that question. Why? What is the meaning of this? Why Jesus? Why him? Why did he have to die. And what's, what's the matter with death? Why did Jesus have to die? In 2004, when that movie was in the theater, it's the year that I met the Lord. And it's my very first contact with anything Christian in my life. I was invited by a friend to go see that movie, The Passion. I was deep in sin. I was deep in all kinds of things that you cannot even imagine. 
And that friend invited me to see that movie, and we went to that theater, and we were all alone. There was nobody else. We were like four of us in that theater, and I began to watch that movie and to watch what Jesus did and how he was murdered. And even if I was not a Christian, I was sitting in those seats looking at the scream and getting angry like, can you just stop? What's going on? That question came to my mind also. Why did Jesus have to suffer like that? It's so terrible. So the question is maybe one of the most important questions you can ask in your life. Why did Jesus ask to die? To answer this question, we need to read the whole Bible. <laughs> to be honest, we cannot answer that without knowing the background. We need to read the whole Bible. We need to, to study the word of God. We need to begin to read from the Old Testament and the New Testament. What is the story of the cosmic redemption that the Lord is doing through, through this world? We need to understand the, the traditions of the Jews. We need to understand the, the law that God has given to his people. Don't worry, we don't have time to do that this morning. <laughs> but we will humbly look at a simple passage in the scripture. In Romans chapter 3, verse 23 to 26. And this little passage will serve us well as it, it answers these questions in a simple and short manner. We can understand what Jesus did on the cross and why did he have to die. So it's a short passage and um, I deeply encourage you to memorize it. It's a good practice to memorize the word of God and it's a good thing to do that even in the season that we are in right now. So I will read the passage and we will go back to each verses slowly. Verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Amen. Why did Jesus have to die? The first thing that we see here is because of my sin, death was necessary. And we see in verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Paul is, is, is putting it very clearly, very simply, all have sinned. And if you just go up a little bit in your Bible at verse um, nine, he says, what then? Are, are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, and, and when he says Jews and Greeks, he, he is putting under that everybody. All Jews and Greeks are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongue to deceive. The venom of, the venom of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curse and bitterness. And he's just explaining, no, not one is righteous. 
Nobody is righteous. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And because of that sin, we are all under a curse. God is dishonored by sin. You know what sin does? It's just saying, you know what? The king of the universe, the one who created all of us, the one who created this world for us to live in, we turn aside from him and said, I don't need you. You don't have any right to reign on me. I don't accept your authority. I don't glorify you as you must be. It's giving glory to anything else than the only one that is worthy of it. It's saying to anything else, any other sin, that this thing is worthy of my devotion instead of this God. Sin is belittling the glory of God. It's not treating God as God. You know, we, we often put the emphasis on the sin that we commit. But we forget sometimes the sin that we omit or that we, the things that we are not doing that are sins. Let me ask you this question. The very first commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Have you ever done that? Are you a person that is loving the Lord your God with all your might, strength, mind, all the time? Me neither. Sinning is like exactly what Adam and Eve did in the garden. In the very beginning of the story, God created all this, put Adam and Eve in the garden to enjoy everything that God has created. And what did they do? The devil came to them and began to put his lie in them and they, they just fell for it. Oh, if I eat of that fruit, God said very clearly, if you eat that fruit, you will die. And they think, I know what God said, but the snake, the devil is telling me that if I eat from that tree, if I eat that fruit, I will become like God. Oh, wait a minute. You read that story and you think God just created them in his image. He created them like in the image of God. They were already like God. They were reflecting the glory of God. It was a lie. But they begin to think, maybe I'm, I'm wiser. Maybe I don't need God to make good or bad decisions. I, I know what is good for myself. It seems like being nothing. But it's making yourself the king of your own life. It's, it's rejecting the authority of God. It's rejecting the glory of God and saying, I can do it for myself. And what happened to Adam and Eve? They swallowed death. And we think that's not wise. But we are very much alike. I have a friend who told me this story one time about his son. He was in his house. Anyone who has kids know that at some point the kids will think they are smarter than you. Three weeks ago, we had our fourth kid. He hasn't begun yet to challenge us this way. <laughs> but the other ones do all the time. They challenge us. Don't touch that. They hesitate and they, they want to do what they, they think. They, they think they can make those decisions themselves. And he told me that story. He was in his house and he was in his uh, kitchen or something like that. And he saw his son. He was maybe one, two, two years old. And he was in the bathroom. And he saw his son in the bathroom taking, you know, everybody has that in his bathroom. You have a brush 
with which you wash and clean the toilet. And his son was taking the cup in which you put the brush in his hand. And he was taking it to his mouth slowly like that. So his father was looking at him through the room. And you know, there's times like that where you don't have to explain the old theory why you don't drink that. You just scream at him and say, no, don't do that. Put that down. But the son, thinking he's so wise, thinking he don't need his father to tell him what is good and what is bad. He just hurried out because his father was warning toward him. He hurried up and <laughs> drank it. it. I know. Good morning. <laughs> it's disgusting. But seriously, are we not like that? We do even worse than this. Because this little boy didn't die because of that. It's very disgusting, but... Adam and Eve, thinking they were so wise, drank and eat their own death. And we all sin. We are all the same. Every sin that we do, it's always the same thing. I know what is right. I know what is good. I am my own king. I don't need a God to tell me what is good and what is not. And so we are belittling God's glory. We're taking the, the, sin, the, the place of the king and, and saying, I'm the boss. But notice, in the garden, God told Adam, if you eat that fruit, you will surely die. There was already a punishment going down on them. And, and, and what you see when you read the story, you notice that Adam didn't die at that moment. God gave them some punishment. He cursed the earth and he cursed the devil. And, but Adam didn't die. God didn't pour out his whole wrath on him at that moment. But he stored his almighty wrath for another time. He let him live. And what did he do? He covered Adam and Eve with an animal skin. Blood had flowed to cover their sin. Maybe you say, yeah, but I don't work by those rules. It's not. It's, it's your God's rule. I don't work by those rules. But remember that you're not the king. <laughs> Try that with a officer of the law, if you go too fast on the highway, then you get put aside. And he comes to you and say, hey, you were, you were not obeying the law. You went too fast. And you look at him and say, yeah, but I don't worry by those rules, you know. I'm over that. No, it doesn't work like that. It's not your world. You don't get to make the rules. And we are all sinners. And we all sins. And what is... Written in scripture, we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. We are all under the curse. There's consequences to our sin. We have offended an infinite being. And so the consequence is infinite and we cannot pay for that. God is perfectly just and declared that the just and righteous punishment for our sin is death. Eternal death. And to receive the full wrath of God. God is holy and perfect. He cannot love, like, or injure sin in his presence ever. So he must punish sin. And all sin, he cannot just punish the worst one. I hear that often, people saying, yeah, if God is good, why is he not taking evil from this earth? We will be good after that. They don't realize that they will be gone also. Because God doesn't stop at murder. Every sin is a 
a terrible offense to God. So here, here's our problem. We have a death sentence upon us with no possibility of escape. I cannot atone for my own sin. I cannot. I cannot satisfy God's righteous requirement because I cannot offer him anything good. I cannot pay for my own sin. So my sin condemns me before a righteous God. We are all under the curse because of our sin. I need a rescue. I need a savior. Because of my sin, a death is necessary. If you ever wonder and, 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 and beginning to, to task and ask the question, what is my contribution to salvation? Your contribution is the sin that makes it necessary. But glory be to God, the Bible doesn't stop there. We see after that the, what we call the divine dilemma. And it's, it will be very short, that point. It's just to understand that God is confronted with that, what we call that divine dilemma. Look, he loves men. Men are sinners and are all under the wrath of God because of their sin. They are separated from him. They fall short of, this, of his glory. They cannot be in the presence of God because their sin separates them from a holy, just, perfect, loving God. So there's the dilemma. Men cannot pay for their sin and they cannot be in the presence of God. They are condemned. But God loves men and he wants to save them. Look with me at some Bible verse, Ezekiel 18, verse 23. God is, is pouring out his heart saying, Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked? Declares the Lord God. And not rather that he should turn from his way and live. God doesn't want you and me to, to die in our sin. But he is perfectly just. He cannot just say, that's all right. You're good. Just forget it. No, it will not be a just and righteous God if he does that. And you don't want a God that is not just and righteous. Imagine going to court. You stand before the judge. And the man who murdered your wife is there, waiting for his sentence, waiting for his judgment. And the judge comes this morning, and he's feeling really good, and he's looking at the, the mass and looking at this guy and saying, you know what? That's all right. You can go. You will not be sitting in that room saying, hmm. No, you will scream. You will say, wicked judge. And you will be right to do so. We we'll say it's bad. So God cannot just say that's nothing. Sin must and will be punished. But he loves men and wants to save them. We see that great dilemma in Proverbs 17 verse 15 where it says, and it's God talking through Solomon, he who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous are both alike an abomination to the Lord. You cannot just say, that's all right. Sin must be paid for. So there's a legal demand I cannot answer. God is the judge. And we are without hope in ourselves. We cannot do anything to escape that judgment. And God cannot just say, you can go. So what will God do? What can make me escape the judgment? What can make me not receive the full outpouring of God's wrath on me? The answer to that question is the reason we can call the darkest day of the universe Good Friday. And look at me at verse 24 to 26. It's very simple. It's the last point in which we will camp. So there's 
death waiting on each one of us with no issue. So why did Jesus have to die? Because because of his love. And we will see here. Because God loved us so much, he wanted to find a solution. And he planned it from all eternity. Jesus' death was necessary. We continue all that sin and fall short of the glory of God. And are justified by his grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. Say propitiation. If I give you a sheet right now and ask you write the definition of that word. Would it be simple for you? That's not an easy one. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his, for, in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins, like we saw with Adam. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that it might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. How can God still be just? How can God remain just, the just judge, and at the same time justify the sinner? How can you live without, without uh, receiving the full wrath of God while God remain just? God find a way. God planned a way. And look at the word that are used here. We are justified. Justified by faith. Justified. It means that we received a new, uh, a new state of standing before God. The new legal, uh, legal statute before God. We are not looked at as sinners, as guilty but as just, how is it even possible? If you know your own heart, how is it even possible? We are declared legally righteous before God. How? So there's nothing condemning us if we are justified in Christ. But we read that and it, it, it's a little passage and it, it's, you read that in, in a minute and it's done. But there's so much packed in this. So God find a way to justify the sinner and still be just. And Paul says that it's through the redemption in Christ. Redemption means be being bought back to God. Being redeemed means he freed us from the bondage of sin and of the devil that held, the, held us captive. God himself. It's written right here. God put forward Christ as our propitiation. So the term propitiation means being a cursed bearer, a replacement, the one who turned away from us the wrath of God that we deserve. But where does that come from exactly? Paul is telling that to people, and we are here in 2019 talking about the propitiation by blood. Honestly, the Christians and the Jews are the two only religions in the whole world where the center, the the core of our faith is a bloody victim dying in our place. It's very far from our culture today. When is the last time you saw a sacrifice? When is the last time you saw blood being spilled for any reason? Even less for covering of sin. So simply said, Paul is saying that Jesus took our place and gave us his. He took our guilt and sin and gave us his righteousness and the inheritance that come with it. 
We're not looked at by God as just and worthy of receiving the full, the full benediction, the full uh, blessing that only Jesus is worthy of. This is a great exchange. Our guilt for his righteousness. We're justifying this way, but, but it's hard for us to understand because of the language. We need to go back and to go in the Old Testament because it's the language of sacrifices, animal sacrifices in the Old Testament that were used in the temple. And here you, you hear that propitiation by blood. But for us today, it's hard to understand what Jesus accomplished if we don't go back. You know that what we are celebrating today, Good Friday and Easter, it's a Christian um, celebration. But it has its roots in the Jewish culture. It has its root in the Old Testament Passover. So to understand what Jesus did on that cross, we need to go back and look at what happened at the very first Passover with Moses in Egypt. We need to transport ourselves in Egypt at the time of the captivity of Israel. They were captive and slaves to Pharaoh. They were slaves to, to, to Egypt and they were forced to work. And the Pharaoh was not allowing them to go and worship their God. So they were captive. But God sent nine plagues in Egypt and said to Pharaoh through Moses all the time, let my people go. Let my people go. God wanted to free his people and God did free his people at that time. And after nine plagues, Pharaoh was still hard hearted and said, no, I will not let your people go. But God said, that, that's enough. Now will come the, the last plague and the last step to save my people. And what was the plan of God? He said to Moses, you will take a lamb, a lamb, and you will sacrifice that lamb you will kill that lamb. You need to take a perfect lamb. One that is not, that has not any spots on it. A perfect little lamb. And you will sacrifice it and you will put, put his blood on the doorstep of your houses. And I will send an angel of destruction. You can find that story in Exodus chapter 12. I will send the angel of destruction and he will come over all Egypt. And he will kill all the firstborn. In all the land. What we don't see or what we go over without noticing often in that story is that that angel of destruction was coming for everyone. The people of Israel included. It was not coming just to kill the firstborn of Egypt. The sentence of death was on everyone. And God told Moses and his people the only way the only way that you can escape death, your salvation will come to an innocent, blameless, defenseless lamb sacrificed. That's, that's crazy. Imagine yourself in that time, in that house. Imagine you're the firstborn of your family and you're just sitting there in that dark day where you hear the screaming of people dying all around you. You hear people crying out loud because they lost someone they love so much. And in your dining room, you're sitting at that table and looking 
at this defenseless lamb on the table and thinking the only reason, the only reason why I am alive is because this lamb died in my place. Imagine Moses receiving that message. You will be protected. Not by a huge lion coming to, to roar. Not by another angel bat, uh, doing war with the angel of destruction. But by a defenseless little lamb. So the message was sent to them that they are all guilty. All of them were guilty. All of them were supposed to die in that night. But those who had a Lamb. And look at verse 13 in Exodus 12. It says that the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. That's why it's the name of the feast, the Passover. Because the angel of destruction, death passed over them to not kill them because of a lamb. But they knew that it was not the end. They knew that it was not that it was just a temporary deliverance. They knew it. Because after that, God gave to Moses the whole sacrificial system. He gave him the temple. And if you know a little bit of that story, he asked Moses to do sacrifices for each and every single sin that any man could ever done in this people of Israel. So there was the, the temple in the center of the whole city. What you, you need to, to, get, to get and to understand is that if you were someone from the people of Israel... If you were a Jew at that time, you were always smelling death. There was always the burn of an offering somewhere. There was always a priest offering a sacrifice for the sin of his people. And why did they know that it was not the end? Why did they know that they needed a greater deliverance? Because the blood was never stopping from flowing. Blood was always, always flowing because not even one sacrifice could cover for one single sin of one single person in that people. The people, the priests that were offering the sacrifice were themselves sinners. It was not enough. They knew that they needed a greater sacrifice. Blood was running and then come Isaiah. And that verse will be read a lot today, I guess. Isaiah with his most famous prophecy in Isaiah 53, and particularly verse 4 and 6, for 4 to 6. Isaiah just has this revelation from God. He just has this, uh, what we call a messianic prophecy. Talking about the one who will come. To rescue his people. And he says, surely he has borne our griefs. No, notice the, the our and the, uh, the word that is, Isaiah is, is using. Because he's including himself in that. He's saying, we, we, all of us. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. And we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Sin. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You see, death was coming on Egypt. All were supposed to die. 
But death, instead of falling on the firstborn of the people of Israel, fell on this little lamb. And look at the end of this passage. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Do you see Isaiah taking, again, this image of the sacrificial lamb to talk about the one who will come to save them. He connects that to the suffering servant that will come one day to take away the guilt of his people. And we transport ourselves 700 years later near the river Jordan. And a man, John the Baptist, is there. The last prophet sent by God before Jesus came. And he saw Jesus coming to him. And looking at him, he said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. All those sacrifices were ultimately pointing to Jesus. All those sacrifices, the blood that is always, always, always running was before the eyes of the Israelites. Just to remember them, salvation is coming. Salvation is coming. Salvation is coming. You cannot pay for your own sin. You have a condemnation. You have a curse that is waiting upon you. You need a savior by the blood. And John the Baptist, by the spirit of God, said when he saw Jesus, behold, this is the Lamb of God. This is him to whom all of this was pointing. Jesus is the ultimate Passover. Imagine yourself on that day. The last Passover, when Jesus was sitting in that room with his disciples, around that meal, and they were all Jews, all used to that celebration. They all knew that the host, the one who received the people at his home, was supposed to do three things during that meal. He was supposed to take the bread and says, this is the bread of our fathers. This is the bread of their affliction in the desert. What they suffered for us, that we can have freedom. And after that, he was supposed to take the cup and says, this is the, the cup of the, um, of the um, covenant of our father. And after that, there was the third thing, the most important thing, the lamb. And it's crazy to, to see when you read all four gospels, to see that one thing is just shining by, by his absence. In all four gospels, during that celebration of the Passover, there is no mention of any lamb. And Timothy Keller said wisely, the reason why there's no lamb on the table on that night is because the lamb is at the table and about to be sacrificed. Jesus is the one who came to offer himself to take away our sin. And that's what Paul is referring to when he says that Jesus is a propitiation by his blood. He is coming to take on himself the full wrath of God that we deserve. He is coming to offer himself. He said, no one is taking my life. I am offering it from myself. Jesus is coming on the cross. And this king of glory is there standing before the people. And we pat on him. And we just beat him. And we cursed him. And we hated them and we rejected him. And Jesus was coming to bear our punishment to accomplish this very promises. Listen, you need to understand this. As long as you don't see the cross as something being done by you, you cannot begin to understand that it's something being done for you. It's your sin 
that put Jesus on the cross, but it's his love for you that kept him there. God sent his own son to bear the punishment for us. Jesus died, the only just and righteous man to ever live. The only one who was worthy of our admiration and adoration and worship. And he was silent and received what was owed to us. So that's the language that Paul is using here, referring to Jesus, accomplishing our redemption, paying by his blood, exchanging his place with us. So we look at the table with gratitude. And we want to finish with this. From the very beginning, God was just storing up his wrath. He didn't punish Adam at the beginning. He didn't punish his people from all history. But he was waiting for that moment where on the cross, Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath. No wonder he was shaking. He was just uh, sweating blood in the garden of Gethsemane. He was praying, if it's possible, let this cup pass away from me. But not my will, but yours be done. And he drank it all. The silence of the father in the garden was the payment for our sin. It was the greatest demonstration of God's love for us. No wonder John 3.16 is the most popular verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Jesus loved us. Seriously, think about that. That's the only reason we can say it's Good Friday. The only reason Jesus was able to say what no priest was ever able to say before. They offered sacrifice again and again, but Jesus on the cross, dying for us, said, it is finished. No more blood needs to to be spilled. Nothing less needs to be offered. I did it all for you. I paid it all. Now you can just put your faith in me. Believe that I'm dying for you. Believe that I, I paid for your punishment. Believe that I took your wrath on that cross and you will be saved. Don't wait today. If you're a Christian, you should have your eyes fixed on the cross every single day of your life. That's where you find your salvation. That's where you find your joy. That's where you find the reason for worship. But if you don't know him, don't wait any longer. The cost was high. His love was great. And he did that for you. So why did Jesus have to die? Because he loved you that much. And he wants to have you with him for all eternity. We could have finished with Revelation 5 and the lamb on the throne. When you look at that, we heard people reading that text in every different language this morning, that's a representation of Revelation 5. You know what happened in heaven? What the Lord is telling us through that revelation is that in heaven for all eternity, the reason for our worship is the lamb that was slain to save people from all nation, tongues, and tribe. That's amazing. So we'll finish by doing just that. Let me pray and then we will just worship the Lamb of God that took our place on that cross. 
Heavenly Father, I'm saying, Lord, just even not worthy to, to stand before these people this morning. And as I am preaching this, this message, as we are remembering that it's our sin that put Jesus on the cross, as we are remembering that you spilled your blood to save us, as we remember that even where there was no way for us to be justified and you to remain just, you found a way and you came yourself to take the punishment on yourself. As we remember that, I'm just lacking words to express my thankfulness to you. Just lacking words to express my gratitude and what kind of love is this? you will lay down your life for us. Father, I pray this morning that we will value the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross as it should be. The greatest thing to never happen in the universe. The greatest sacrifice. It is finished. I can rest in you now. I don't need to do anything. I don't need to work. I don't need to try to justify myself or to do good deeds. I just need to rest in you, to put my faith, to put my confidence, like the people in Israel looking at the lamb and, and trusting as the angel of destruction was coming, trusting that their only hope is in that little lamb sacrificed for them. Father, we are looking at Jesus in the same way. As the last day is coming, as judgment is coming, we're looking at you, we're looking at Jesus on that cross, believing firmly that the only reason why I can live is because he took my place. The Lamb of God, worthy of worship, killed on the cross by sinners like us. We thank you for what you did for us. And we want to praise you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.